when Teresa and I got married on our anniversary, or on our honeymoon, we took a hike down in the Smoky Mountains, and uh, we took no water with us, and it was supposed to be an easy hike, we thought, and it turned out to be a lot farther than we thought, and a lot harder than we thought, and it was very hot. And so we stayed longer than we should have, and so we started to come back down the trail, and it started to get dark, and we could not uh, kind of get off the trail a little bit. I was trying to figure out how to get back sooner. Uh, we had no guide to get us back, and it was a hike to make it back to our cars, and it wasn't all that fun. Uh, wasn't a good gu- we had no good guides to help us on the way back. And then a few months ago, though, Teresa and Pat DeVries and Jared and Aaron, uh, they rode out together to uh, Arizona with Pat. And while they were out there, they were taking a hike around Arizona in one of the, in one of the trails. And as they were hiking along the way, um, one of the rangers happened to be on the trail with them uh, out there. And he stopped and he talked to them and he started walking with them the rest of the way. And as they went on the, the, through the trail, he would point out different parts of the trail that were important. He highlighted different, uh, different um, plants and different landmarks along the trail. And they had a beautifully guided path back to their car, completely different than what we had years earlier. That's what Psalm 40 is all about, or Psalm 25. We all need guidance for something. We all need help for something. And some of you are here this morning needing guidance and wanting to know which direction to go and how can I be guided and is there help for me to be guided. Some of you this morning may just be over your head. It may be a sin situation. You can't seem to overcome it. It's dominating your life. Or maybe you're under pressure right now in a relationship situation. And you're not sure how to deal with it or a job situation. Or maybe you're not where you thought you would be right now in your life. That this isn't where you thought you would find yourself. This wasn't your plan. This is, you thought it would be completely different now. That the job's not working out like you thought it was going to work out. The, where your living's not working out where you thought it would work out. But you're not where you're, you're, this is not your life plan. Or maybe you are next to a situation and you're not how, sure how to address it. You can't figure out which way to go. We all, and you need, and we all want guidance. What does it look like? And how do we get it? That's what Psalm 25 is talking about. Psalm 25 says this, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love. For they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me. For the sake of your goodness, O Lord, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right, and he teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. 
For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble, and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes, and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. My integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. What do you need guidance for this morning? What does that look like, and how do you get it? Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the ability to gather together, to worship, to hear your word, to encourage each other. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come speak to us. Teach us how to seek your guidance. Just remove every distraction from us and encourage us in your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Psalm 25 is an acrostic. If you were to look at the way it was originally written in the Hebrew language, that each, each sentence would begin with a letter of the alphabet, which means that David, when he wrote this psalm, he didn't just sit down in the midst of some turmoil and stress and just start writing something out. It means that he sat down, he thought about what he was going to write, and he organized it in such a way to help others. Psalm 25 is a mature psalm. It's in a, written by a mature believer and follower of God, and it's an instructional psalm. David's going through some stuff, but he's been through some stuff, and he's, he's, he's going through this new trial, and he's trying to say, listen, I've learned some things about how God guides me. And I want you to know, people of Israel, and for us today, how God does this. So I'm going to write it down in a way that you will remember is how he did it for them. He wrote it in a acrostic so that they would remember, this is how God guides. So this wasn't just some rambling, quick splurt that he blurted out. This was thought through. It was intentional how he wrote it so that people would know how God guides and how to remember how God guides. It's a mature psalm by, written by a mature psalmist. Psalm 25 is a guide for guidance for Christians. It's a psalm of a guide for Christian guidance, which is very Important. Verse 1, David says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. There are all kinds of ways that people today are trying to get guidance. People will say, hey, well, if, if you just think inside yourself, and how you feel inside, let your conscience be your guide, or follow your heart, and that will get you the right way. That's not at all the Christian way of finding guidance. David, right at the beginning of the psalm, says, 
This guidance that he's talking about, if you want to be guided correctly, this is a Christian guidance. Because he says in verse 1, it's very confident. One and two, three, three times in this psalm, he says the word shame. He says, oh my God, in verse 2, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. David is not talking about shame the way we think of shame. Most of us, when we hear shame, we think um, we're going to be embarrassed. He's, Don't let me be embarrassed, God. Don't let me be embarrassed for you, which a lot of times we are. We're at work. We know we should say something, but we're, we can't get it out of our mouths because we are ashamed, which is why Paul says he's not ashamed of the gospel. That's not what David's talking about in this psalm. He's talking about the word shame, the way it was meant. I think the NIV translates it, let me not be disappointed, or don't let me down. David is very confident in God. He's saying, to you, O Lord, I lift my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Don't let me be disappointed that as I follow you, I know you're going to guide me through, because you've done it in the past. I know you'll do it in the future. I don't want to be let down. And we don't have to be but it's guidance for Christians. It is, to you, O Lord, I lift my soul. We have a lot of people in our church, in this group on a summer Sunday, who grew up in church. Many of you have been in church all your life. You have heard the Bible. You know what the verses say. You memorized a lot of the verses. But that does not make you a Christian. You can have all the language down perfectly, even know the answers to many, many questions, and not, st- and not be a Christian, and be looking for guidance from the Bible, and not be getting it. Because you say, well, I got all these verses memorized, God's supposed to guide me. But you live your life as if it's your life to live. And you won't be guided from Psalm 25 this way. This is guidance for Christians. Kind of like purchasing your car, which is a big decision. You buy your first car, you look at a whole bunch of other options, you go through the process, you, you, you Google everything, you check them all out, it's a, you know, you're stressed out, you want to get the right car. And then when you finally make the decision to get the car, and you get in it, you have to follow the way the car was designed to work, right? So you look at the manual that that car gave you. We don't purchase these cars, get in our cars, and say, well, I don't like where they put the uh, windshield wipers. I don't think this is right, and yank it out and try to put another option in. Or I don't like where they put the cruise control. I wish it was over here, so we yank it out and put it someplace else. That's not how we purchase cars. And that's not how Christianity works. To be guided as a Christian is to say what David says, Oh my God, oh Lord. As a Christian, I'm going to accept everything you say about yourself, that you are Lord. So your way of doing things must be my way of doing things. There are a lot of people who grow up in church who say they like Jesus, but they just don't want to follow anything Jesus has to say. So when they're reading what Jesus has to say in the Bible, they'll say, you know what? I like what Jesus has to say, but I really don't like what Jesus says about this, so I'm just not going to follow it. I'm going to toss it out. I don't really want to leave that. I don't want to follow what God says, how to live my life, so I'll toss that out. You're not going to be found to be guided Christianly with that kind of thinking. That's not Christian thinking. That's not how Christians seek guidance. David said, to you, O Lord, 
I lift up my soul. Oh my God, in you I trust. For us to sing as Christians, Jesus Christ is our Savior, but he's also our sovereign Lord. And when he says something in his word, we don't get to say, I don't really like it that way, so I'll just do my own thing, and then I'll hope that God guides me anyway. It doesn't work that way. To get Christian guidance, you have to see Jesus as Lord and see what Jesus says as Lord and say, I will follow that. As hard as it may be, there's a lot of people who will say they're Christians and say, I want to know God's will. I just don't want to do it God's way. You're not a Christian if you think that way. If you think that you can live and say, I want Jesus and I want God, but I just don't want God's way, You're not a Christian. No matter how many Bible verses you know or how many services you've sat into, a Christian loves Jesus and aims to follow Jesus. Even the hard things of Jesus. Because that's what grace does. It changes people's hearts. And a heart that's not changed will say, I want God, I just want my way. That's not a changed heart. David said For his guidance, oh, Lord, my God, I lift up my soul. In you I trust. And as Christians, we have to follow God's ways. Because Christians are called to persevere to the end. We don't want our lives to be shipwrecked. But if you think that you can like Jesus and not like Jesus' way, or follow Jesus' way, your life will end up shipwrecked. Yesterday, or Friday, they finally were able to pick up and start to refloat the Costa Concordia. The big cruise ship that two years ago sunk because the captain wasn't following the right way. He got off-guided. He went too far in, hit the rocks, the whole thing tipped over. And this past weekend, they picked it up, they refloated it, but that's what it looks like. That's a shipwrecked ship. You don't want your life to look like that. If you, you don't want your life to go your way and have your life end up shipwrecked and say, well, I thought I was a Christian. I thought I was following God's way. Why didn't God guide me? If you're not willing to surrender and submit to God's way, you're not going to find the guidance that Psalms 25 has for you. Don't shipwreck your life. Follow God's guidance is what David says to the people. Oh, Lord, to you I lift up my soul. Oh my God, in you I trust. And he knows with confidence that he's not going to be put to shame. He's not going to be disappointed. God's not going to let him down. But what's the context of his situation when he wrote this Psalms? This is not King David sitting up in a kingly chair, kicking back, enjoying life. Psalm 25 is written in the reality of life. David says this about this psalm. He says, Oh my God, in you I trust. Verse 2, Let not my enemies exalt over me. And then in verse 19 he says, Consider how many are my foes, and with what violent hatred they hate me. This is where David's writing this psalm. The, The first thing in this psalm is he is Got all kinds of enemies and foes around him. And he says, with violent hatred, they hate me. If you have that kind of pressure on your life, you're going to be struggling with fear. 
What's going to happen next? This was David's life all the way through. He, he, he was struggling when he wrote the psalm with fear. He's got enemies everywhere. Are they coming in today? Is this going to be it? He's got enemies everywhere. He's struggling with fear. And then it says in verse 16, Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. This loneliness for Christians, a lot of Christians are lonely. David was lonely. He was the king of Israel. And with all the things that he had in his life, a man after God's own heart, all these things, he says, I've got fear because I've got violent enemies ready to attack me. And then I'm lonely. Loneliness is almost a mark of a true Christian in this world. In some respect, if you're a Christian and you try to live in the world, you're going to be lonely. You're going to go to work, and you're going to try to do it God's way, follow his guide, and other people are going to say, don't do it that way. And you're going to have to be willing to be lonely. David was lonely. Daniel was lonely. The apostle Paul was lonely. At the point of his death in Corinthians, he says, nobody is with me. All the people who are working with me, they're gone. They left him. He was lonely. The early church, we always talk about these big heroes of the faith, but there was real Christians just like us who were in the early church, and they were suffering all kinds of persecution for thousands of years now. They were lonely. They were, they were set apart. Jesus was lonely. And that's the context of the situation. He's, he's fearing for his life. He's lonely. And he's got guilt. It says in verse 7, Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. In verse 18, he says, Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. David had been following God for a long time. Yet still, as this mature psalm is being written to instruct people on how God guides them, his old sins are still creeping up. He's still struggling with God. Am I really forgiven? Don't, God, don't remember the sins of my youth. They pop up, don't they? As Christians, start going through a difficult time. Is God doing this to me because I, as I sinned? Is this the punishment for what I did 20 years ago? Is it, am I finally reaping that? That's how David was feeling. He was fearful. He was lonely. He had guilt over his sin, and he was afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged, it says in verse 17. Bring me out of my distresses. He was under unbelievable stress. And this is a mature follower of God explaining how life is. On Tuesday, Teresa and I have been married for 19 years. And for the first time, every time somebody asked me how long you guys have been married, the reaction was, wow. I never got wow before. Uh, I'm, like, I'm getting older, I felt like. For some of you, that's nothing. I think it's nothing. 19 is not the exciting year. It's like, well, 19. Wait till you get to 20. Then you can celebrate that. But 19, when you think back 19 years, it's a good marker for how life is. And what's taken place in 19 years since I got married? And here's the things that I have struggled with in, for 19 years years as i look back how life has gone i have had struggles in personal relationships i've had persistent sin patterns that i still have to deal with parenting problems pastoring issues 
And physical health discipline has been a challenge. I like Coke and chips too much, and I can't kick it. That's life. Those are all hard things. Life is hard. That's how the Bible describes the real life that we live in. It describes it as hard. We have personal relationship problems. We don't get along with everybody, and sometimes we don't know why. But we have them. We got persistent patterns of sin that we fight against, and they still knock us back sometimes. Parenting brings up all kinds of issues for us at times. Being a pastor and having a pastor is difficult both ways at times. And trying to just deal with our own physical desires. Life is hard, which is why David wrote the psalm. It's for mature Christians. He says, listen, because life is hard, this is an instruction guide for you to know how to live life. We live in a world that's broken, a world that is bent. And we have to see it that way. Because we live by a deep gospel, or we should. We should live by a deep gospel foundation, not some Christian vacation where we pretend everything's okay. We gather together on Sunday. Hey, how's it going? It was great. Praise Jesus. Things are wonderful. You said to say amen, Paul, so I'm just going to pretend everything's fine for me. It's all good. It's not a Christmas. It's not a Christian vacation that we live in. We live in a real difficult, hard world, and there are churches They will just say, hey, let's just make them all feel good. Let's all just feel good about ourselves. It's okay. Don't let sin get in the way. You're okay. Let's just feel good. Go out and and have fun this week. That's not how the Bible describes Christianity. We don't walk around in morose, but this afternoon, after church, I'm going to drive up with Brandon to go see Al and Connie. And what am I going to share with them? A Christian vacation? Hey, everything's fine. Life is easy. No. No. I'm going to say to them Isaiah 42, 16, where God says, And I will lead the blind in a way they do not know, in paths that they have not known. I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level ground. These are the things I do, and I do not forsake them. And I'm going to say to them, But many But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. That's the reality that we live in. We live in a broken, bent world where we are the victims and the perpetrators. And we cannot pretend that we can just go and feel, let's just make everybody feel good. Let's just be all happy. Let's just pretend it's really not bothering us. Let's not share any of our problems. Let's just deal with it and just pretend that, hey, Jesus is good, so we're all good. That is not at all how the Bible says to describe and go through life. It does not say, be sorrowful. Because what I just read, those verses bring great joy. It brings real deep joy. It says, God is with you in this blind trial that you don't understand. God's not going to forsake you. God is with you in that situation. That's the context of David's situation. This is where he's writing from. He's filled with fear. 
He's lonely. He's got guilt of his past sins. And he's afflicted. As, he's got all kinds of pressure around him. And in that situation, in that context, he says this is how you get Christian spiritual guidance. The content of what it is. What is it? Verse 4, he says this. David says, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Some of you are trying to figure out who you should marry. Some of you are trying to figure out what job you should take. Some of you are trying to figure out what should you do with your retirement. Some of you are trying to figure out what you should do with your marriage. Some of you are trying to figure out what you should do with your children. Some of you are trying to figure out what you should do with the emotional baggage that you grew up with or that you're enduring right now. Where am I going to get help for all those things? And David says, Make known to me, you prayer, it's a prayer. Make known to me your ways, O Lord. There's all kinds of ways that Christians have tried to find guidance. John Newton, who was a slave owner, became a Christian, one of the great pastors. He ended up becoming Will, William Wilberforce's pastor, the guy that actually eliminated slavery in England after a long years of fight in the parliament. But John Newton would write letters to people. People would write him letters all the time. You can, you can get his letters. I got a couple of his books. And even though he lived in the 1700s, it's, people haven't changed a bit. It's all the same. And, and someone wrote him a letter and said, hey, how do I find divine guidance? How do I get God's help? And he, he says, he gave a few examples in this letter about how not to do it. And this is a couple hundred years ago when we still, people still try to do this. He says, some people try to find guidance by casting lots. They say, hey, that worked in the Bible. They did it a few times. I'll just, they'll just cast lots. And if God wants me to have this job, I'll, I'll set a little, little uh, piece of food out in front of my door. And if it's gone in the morning, if the squirrels eat it, then I'm supposed to uh, take the job. If the squirrels don't eat the bread, then I'm not supposed to take the job. And that's how people, they just cast lots. They just make these little schemes. They say, well, it worked for Gideon, and it worked for the disciples. That's not normative. That's not normally how God works. Casting lots putting out little pieces of bread to figure out, hey, if there are three crumbs left when I walk in the house, if there's two chips left, um, then I'm supposed to do this. And if there's only half a bag of chips left, then I'm not supposed to do this. Or whatever crazy thing that people come up with. That's not the way to do it. Or just random picks of the Bible. You know, so I'll just take the Bible, and I will open it up, and then wherever it lands, I'll read that verse, and that verse will guide me on what to do. That's a very dangerous way to do that. Because you're taking scripture out of its context, plus it could be bad news. And then you're in trouble, because you would have to figure out what you're going to do, about what to do. That's a bad way, just randing picks of the gospel. Or people say, well, I feel that I'm supposed to do this, because I just have great freedom in prayer about this thing. Well, I, I, I just feel like this is what I'm supposed to do, because I, I feel that God just, I, when I pray, I just feel like I can pray. And I have no, I have no problem with that. And John Newton said this about this one. He says, it's not always easy to determine when we have spiritual freedom in prayer. The self is deceitful. And when our hearts are much 
fixed and bent upon a thing, this may put words and earnestness in our mouths. And young people do this. And you say, well, I really am emotionally drawn to this person, so I'm, I'm praying, and it's all, this has got to be the guy. He's not godly at all, but this has got to be the guy. I'm, I can pray, and I feel good about it. That's not a good guide for you. Your heart's deceitful. And you may have just convinced yourself to have this emotional state and say, I'm free to do that. That's not how we find guidance. And another option that people use sometimes is just remarkable dreams. You know, I had this dream last night, and it was just so real. Just, I, I sensed that God was talking to me in this dream. It, it means something. And so you take that as that's what you're supposed to, to do. That's not a good way. Who knows what you ate before, what's going on in your life, all these things. That's not a good way to decide God's will. But people have been doing that today, and they've been doing it 200 years ago. Those are just how, left to ourselves, we find these ways to figure out what God's will for us is. And that's not how God says to find guidance. God says, David says, is this instructional psalm, the way you find God's guidance for your life is ask God by prayer, but make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in the truth and teach me. Which is all speaking about an instruction about God's word. Thinking. Using rational thought about God's word to accomplish his will. God gave us the scriptures to guide us. God's a rational God and we have a rational people. And J.I. Packer said this about God's word and looking for guidance. It says, the fundamental mode, or the main way that God guides us, the fundamental mode whereby our rational creator guides his rational creatures is by rational understanding and application of his written word. Scripture is how God guides. In such a way, Packer goes on to say, by giving in answer to prayer the light of his Holy Spirit which enables them to understand and to love the scriptures. That's why Psalms 119 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The word of God, by pouring yourself over scripture, reading it, hearing what God says, this is how God speaks to you. Not by, he does do those other things sometimes, but the Basic means of grace that God has given us for guidance is to read his word in such a way that our eyes are open to the Holy Spirit, that he's leading us. And through his word, he guides us to say, this is the way you should go. It's not just, hey, marry this person or take this job or do this. But as you read the scriptures, you read who God is, you read about his character, you read about what's right and what's wrong. And by knowing the scriptures... The Holy Spirit will wake you up, and when the option and the situation is there, you can say, the Holy Spirit's going to say, hey, listen, by everything you know about God and everything you know about what's right and what's wrong, this is the way to go walk in it. It's like having a ranger with you on the side of the life's path, giving you the journey, pointing out things to you, saying this is the way to go, this is what this is, this is dangerous. But it comes by knowing Scripture and having the Holy Spirit enlightening our minds. But it's not just on feeding the word. It's by following the word, he says. Make your word known to me. You need to be in the word of God. If you can go weeks and weeks without reading the Bible, you're not being led by the Holy Spirit. 
You're not being led by God. I'm not sure what you're being led by, but it's not by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaks to us through his word. And he says, listen to my words. Then we got to follow it, David says in verse 14. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. Could use the word friendship, could be secrets. The secrets of the Lord, which is the intimate things of God. We can be friends of God by knowing his word, following it. So much so that when you're trying to figure out what God's will for your life is, which direction you should go, how you should guide him, it's by prayer and knowing the word so that when you come upon a situation, whatever it may be, it's like you, you know the music. Our culture and pop culture is filled with all these TV shows about music and can you sing and can you not sing and uh, the voice. They have trained people who don't even have to look at people and they can just hear that that person can sing or not. That's what the word of God does for us. We pray and we seek God's word so much so when we come upon a situation we've been guided by the Holy Spirit so we just know that hey this situation this sound is this is right I can walk this way the music is still good as I follow through this isn't like I'm doing something and er, er, that's not that's not what I'm, I'm hearing I'm just hearing yes walk that way so when it comes to our decisions if we're following the Holy Spirit and we're for in his word and we're obeying what he has to say choose just make a choice of whatever you feel led to do you'll be right because that's how god guides us but it's feeding on his word and it's following his word but how do we know how can we have confidence that there's really that kind of guidance available for us how how do we know that david answers that for us in verse eight because he says this I think this verse is amazing. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. We can be confident that God has available guidance for us because God instructs sinners in the way. People who rebelled against him, God loves them enough, he still instructs them, but not just any sinners. He just doesn't instruct any sinner. It goes on to say, in verse 9, he leads the humble in what is right. You can be confident that God will guide you because God, he instructs humble sinners in the way. Which means this. We are sinners. We don't deserve God's guidance at all. We have no help for God's guidance. It's only because God's good and upright that he would even be willing to guide sinners. It's amazing that he would do this for us. That he, the ultimate creator of everything, says, I'm good and I'm upright, which means I'm just, that I'm going to guide sinners and humble sinners in the way. How is that possible that God could do that? How could God guide rebellious people against him? And still be good and upright. It's because he sent his son. He became one of us in the form of Jesus. And Jesus lived the life that God demanded of you and me. And Jesus Christ's death satisfied God's justice so that he could forget about our sins. God, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, has forgotten about your sins. 
He doesn't remember them. As far as the east is from the west. So when God thinks about you, he's not thinking about your past sins of your youth if you're a follower of Christ. He's delighting over you. He's saying, I want to guide you. I want to help you because I'm good and I'm upright and I guide sinners in the way. And here's how you do it. Listen to my word, follow the Holy Spirit, and walk. Choose. Make your choice. Enjoy it. Life's hard, but I'm going to guide you through it because I love you. If you consider yourself godly, but have never come to a point where you've seen yourself as a sinner, and you needed Jesus and confessed your sin, you're not going to be able to get this kind of guidance. This kind of guidance is only for those who say, I am a sinner. I can't lead my life the way I, on my own. I need guidance from somebody else, and God and his gracious and his justice as I made that way possible through Jesus. Jesus is the way that we can be absolutely confident that God will guide us. God guides sinners. So as much as I messed up with all these things in the past 19 years, God can still guide me. Because when he looks at me, he doesn't see Paul. He sees Jesus when he looks at me. Because I am in Christ, and God delights over me. And because of Jesus, I'm free to love Jesus. I'm free to choose the right way. I'm free to fight through sin. I'm free to repent and keep moving forward. I'm free because God instructs sinners in the way, and we can be confident about that. But he also, the other way you can be confident about that is because he honors obedience. Verse 10, And all the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. God's not going to guide you if you're not going to follow his way. You want to be confident that God's guiding you? Then know Jesus and obey Jesus and follow in obedience. He loves covenant-keeping people. That doesn't mean perfect people. It doesn't mean perfect at all. What it means is that the aim of your life is to follow Jesus. So you're aiming your life to follow Jesus. That you're going to direct your way that way. And when you sin, you see it and you repent and you move forward. It's faith and repentance. Faith and repentance, that's covenant, keeping love. And it's all on God to keep this for us. So he honors obedience. Don't say, hey, Paul, what's God's will for my life? I don't want to do that. You're not going to have any confidence that God's going to guide you. The only way to have confidence is be in Christ and then obey Christ. And then verse 15, he says, the other way, my eyes are ever toward the Lord. For he will pluck my feet out of the net. David delights, and God delights in our expecting him to guide us. David was saying, I'm going through all these situations. I'm struggling. I'm I'm in fear. I'm in affliction. I still remember the sins of my youth, and it makes me feel bad. But I know God's going to guide me. I'm looking forward to it. I'm expecting God to move in my life. That's how we can, and we can move forward with great confidence. We have this refreshment of Psalms 25, is that God guides sinners. And we are sinners who have been rescued by Jesus, so God can guide us, and we can follow him, and we can delight in him, and he will lead us. And even though life's hard, he still will guide us out of his love. As an old hymn said, Captain of Israel's 
host and guide of all who seek the land above. Beneath thy shadow we abide, the cloud of thy protecting love. Our strength, thy grace, our rule, thy word, our end, the glory of the Lord. Do you know Jesus? Are you willing to obey Jesus? And are you expecting God to answer you and to guide you? If you are, Psalms 25 is unbelievably refreshing because God will guide us. The question is, will you trust him? And will you be led? 